Governor Eric Holcomb says he has no plans for another mask mandate, even as Indiana's COVID numbers continue to surge. We'll hear from the governor next, plus Representatives Andre Carson and Victoria Sparts, and Senator Mike Braun and former Senator Joe Donnelly on the infrastructure bill in D.C. Then we're one-on-one -on -one with Mayor Joe Hogsett on the funding he hopes will help fight violent crime in Indianapolis. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Good morning. The numbers here in Indiana keep climbing and the news isn't good. Cases on the rise, averaging more than 2,000, up to 3,000 cases a day. Hospitalizations also sharply on the rise because of this more transmissible Delta variant. Despite that, Governor Holcomb says he has no plans to reinstate a mask mandate in Indiana. State House reporter Kristen Eskow asked him about it on Wednesday. We're not going to have a mask mandate statewide. Today, Governor Eric Holcomb made it clear his focus remains on making sure Hoosiers have access to the COVID-19 vaccine and the correct data on the virus and vaccinations. The goal that the state of Indiana has is to make sure they have that access. It's easy, it's free, that they have access to the data that should direct them on how to be safe. The governor says local communities are welcome to impose their own safety guidelines. We're not going to mandate people staying inside. We're not going to mandate um, everyone doing one thing when this is different per community. Right now, every county in Indiana falls under the CDC's recommendation that everyone wear a mask in indoor public places. That's regardless of vaccination status. Even without a mask mandate in effect, doctors are still urging everyone to follow that guidance. It's fairly clear that masks can still stop it, but if you're not masked, there's a really good chance you could catch it even through momentary contact. And there is some evidence that even people who are vaccinated can pass the virus along. All right, Kristen joins us now in the newsroom. You also spoke this week with two members of Indiana's congressional delegation about the fight against COVID-19. What are they saying? Yeah, Dan, I spoke with Congressman Andre Carson and Congresswoman Victoria Sparks, who both tell me they want to see the FDA issue full approval for the COVID vaccines. More elected officials are joining Governor Eric Holcomb's call on the FDA to grant the COVID-19 vaccines full authorization. I think he, like myself, we share an interest in making sure Hoosiers are safe and Americans are safe as well. Congressman Andre Carson says whether it's about vaccines or masks, he believes combating misinformation is critical in the fight against COVID. Now with the Delta variant, I think all hands need to be on deck. I think we need to uh, push out and push out, uh, push away from the misinformation that's out there that trivializes the expertise of healthcare professionals. One of the least vaccinated groups in Indiana is kids between the ages of 12 and 17. Congresswoman Victoria Sparts tells me she believes full FDA approval of the vaccines would give parents more confidence about getting their children vaccinated. I think regular approval will help much more parents to make that decision and, and be, decide to do that. Congresswoman Sparts also believes it's about making sure Hoosiers have accurate information, saying transparency in the FDA's approval process will be key to getting more people vaccinated. I think that is the parents' choice we should provide to people, but I think we have to provide a transparent information that parents can make this decision so then more parents will feel more comfortable. I also asked both Carson and Sparts about the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Both say they want to see some changes made. What we want to do in the House is make sure that we're holding our colleagues accountable 
and making sure that the bill is far-reaching. So we want to deal with climate change. We want to deal with issues that will reduce our emissions. And I don't think that the Senate's proposal goes far enough, but it's a step in the right direction. I want to be open-minded because it's important to have good infrastructure and investment in infrastructure. So hopefully the bill can be trimmed down and make something where Republican can support. Unfortunately, in the current shape, it's not something that we can afford to do. And meantime, at an event on Friday, Senator Todd Young spoke about his vote against the bipartisan infrastructure bill, a bill he initially voted for procedurally. Here's what he had to say about that. You look at the broader bill, which I, I and, and a bunch of others voted to advance so that I'd have a seat at the table. Um, it, it, the promise pay is supposed to pay for itself without increasing taxes, and we were close to doing that. But they moved away from that stated goal, and it doesn't come close to paying for itself now. And I've just, uh, the, you had these other provisions put in place. And you had Speaker Pelosi tie it to a $3.5 trillion bill. Now, Young was not available for interviews on Friday. Dan, back to you. Okay, Kristen Eskow in the newsroom for us. Kristen, thanks. Meantime, this week, our Washington Bureau spoke with Indiana Senator Mike Braun about the big vote this past week on the infrastructure bill. I think we got outmaneuvered politically, too, because Chuck Schumer, the president, and especially Nancy Pelosi, I think she runs the show on the other side, said these bills are linked. In other words, you're going to get what we all know we need to get done, um, solid, tangible infrastructure, but she's not going to hear either one unless they come over together. Something this big, when it doesn't go through committee or regular order to where you bring in people across the country about infrastructure that, you know, have a stake in it, we didn't do that anymore. We get these uh, gigantic bills dropped in our lap. This one was 2,700 pages. There's no way, even if you have your whole staff pour over it, that you're going to find the comfort you'd like. So the process is broken. I think infrastructure, maybe next to defense, are the two things we ought to do well here. I ran because I come from running a business 37 years. I was on a school board that we had to do a budget, had a rainy day fund. Same thing when I was a state legislator. None of that plays here. So the process is broken, and we've been doing it for decades. And if that underlies anything here, even when I like the policy, which is that we need infrastructure, we just can't do it within a broken system. We keep doing it. We're just saying, hey, we'll fix it maybe down the road. Senator Mike Braun there with our Washington Bureau. Also this week, I spoke about the infrastructure bill with the man Braun defeated in 2018, former Indiana Senator Joe Donnelly. What this bill is going to mean is a much, much better broadband infrastructure um, throughout the state, better Wi-Fi coverage so that, uh, especially in our rural areas that have struggled, you will be able to see um, many of those areas get much, much better broadband coverage um, for our roads. There's very, very significant funding um, roads-wise so that we can have a smoother ride in some of the bumpier places around the state. And um, across the board, what it'll help also is um, our ports on the Ohio River. So, so it's almost tailor-made for Indiana because we're such a microcosm of America with airports and, and marine ports and broadband needs. And so I think this will be very, very helpful. 
What about uh, our current two uh, members of the U.S. Senate, Senator Young, Senator Braun, voting against it? What's your reaction to their vote on this bill? Well, I think we saw um, 19 Republican senators vote for it, including um, Senator McConnell, uh, the leader. And so it's received very, very significant um, bipartisan support. And um, on top of the bipartisan support, most all of it is paid for. Um, the Congressional Budget Office said some of it isn't. But um, I think even the Republican senators feel that actually at the end of the day, every dime of it will be paid for. You did have some Republicans say they're opposed to this bipartisan package because of the much larger bill that's being put through afterwards here through the reconciliation process. Now, Senator Manchin also expressing some reservations as well. Are, are you concerned about the cost of that larger spending package? Is it something that you would support if you were serving in the Senate now? I think what you'll see is that the um, cost of that is going to come down. Um, they're talking about $3.5 trillion, which is a huge amount. Um, and you've already seen Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema say, look, we're not in for that number. And so I think the idea will be to go to a lower number that, again, every dime of it is paid for so it doesn't add to the debt. And, and that's a more responsible way to handle it, I think. Okay, Senator Joe Donnelly, former Senator Donnelly with us this week. Coming up next, fighting crime in Indianapolis, Mayor Hogsett talks about his plan to fight violence with more funding from the federal government. Stick around. Welcome back. This week, we're talking one-on-one -on -one with Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett about the surging crime stats in our city and his plan to use federal money from the American Rescue Plan to fight violent crime. Here's Courtney Crown. They're, they're laying their loved ones to rest. What do you tell them about is help on the way? Well, yes, obviously it is. Uh, and it's going to be help that's on the way at levels and at a scope and at a scale that the city of Indianapolis has never before seen. Mayor Joe Hogsett says the $420 million Indy received from the federal government enhanced his budget plans to address crime. We probably wouldn't be having these conversations. We'd be having conversations about what our traditional operating budget in any particular year is able to afford and how we're going to try to stretch dollars. According to a report on Indy's gun violence problem, the National Institute for Criminal Justice Reform says Indy's homicide rate remains about three times higher than the national and statewide rates and has since at least 2014. The day the report was publicly released, Hogsett called Indianapolis a, quote, extraordinarily safe city, but changed his tone at Monday's city county council meeting when presenting the budget. You called it an extraordinarily safe city. Do you still stand by that today? Well, perhaps my, my word usage wasn't the best that it could have been. Um, I do think uh, my remarks last night underscore uh, the seriousness um, that, I, uh, that I bring to this uh, effort, uh, calling it a scourge and a plague. Uh, I think that the levels of gun violence in the city of Indianapolis are unacceptably high. Since July 1st, at least 12 shootings erupted in downtown Indy, along with stabbings and seizures of illegal guns. Thankfully, no one was killed during a shootout at the end of June in a downtown parking lot. But people were still startled. Hogsett says the proposed increase of 100 new police officers and 50 additional peacemakers and violence interrupters will keep people safer in downtown. I'm prepared to do anything and everything I can in the time I have remaining as mayor 
uh, to eradicate the scourge of gun violence to the extent that we can. Mayor Joe Hogsett there with our Courtney Crown. I'm joined now by our panel, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner, 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel. There you see IndyPolitics.org's Abdul Hakim Shabazz and also insiders Adam Wren with us as well. Abdul, I'll start with you. The mayor took some grief for calling Indy an extraordinarily safe city. Indy Star columnist James Briggs called that a, a quote, dumb thing to say, but also said if the mayor can find the right solution, that's what matters most. Is this funding plan the right solution? Um, at the end of the day, unfortunately, I don't think so. Because I think at the end of the day, Dan, it's just another Band-Aid. Because you got to remember, this is uh, American Recovery Act funding. This is not permanent funding. And so even though we're going to fund 100 officers down the road and also get more money to crime prevention, what do we do when the money runs out? Uh, this is like Bill Clinton back in the early 90s with his 100,000 cops on the street. Everybody got 100,000 cops, so the money ran out. And then those numbers went back down again. So I worry that, once again, we're, we're not looking at this uh, really, really long term. Now, this is great to get you through maybe the next election, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to work. Uh, Adam, uh, let's talk about this funding, as, uh, as some have noted, and Abdul mentioned there. It, it does uh, come with a big infusion of federal money. This coming from the uh, American Rescue Plan. Uh, what do you make of the, the funding, the political, uh, the political aspects of this as well? Well, I think the mayor, in a lot of ways, took away one of the Republican Party's biggest talking points with this decision. And that's, you know, the idea that they are for defunding the police. Um, you know, uh, Senator Braun this past week uh, made a national uh, news appearance talking about how Democrats wanted to fund the police, not in his own backyard here in Indiana. Um, you know, the mayor is really sort of going to bat and saying, um, we're pouring all of this money in here. And uh, police matter, public safety matters. Um, you know, this is of a piece with what President Biden has been saying. Um, and so it's a real test case. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the White House uh, make a visit, uh, you know, to, to Indiana, Indianapolis in particular, uh, particular at some point to sort of make the case that they are not for defunding the police. Um, and so, you know, if any sort of Republican in Indiana makes that case, uh, they're, they're turning a blind eye to what's happening in Indianapolis because, uh, I don't see a lot of police departments around the okay. state of Indiana talking about defunding the police, and certainly now not here in Indianapolis. Certainly crime will continue to be a big issue here in Indy. Speaking of federal funding, we're also talking about infrastructure this week. The Senate approving that bipartisan bill. Jennifer, were you surprised Senator Todd Young voted against it after uh, initially voting to move ahead with the bill procedurally? I was surprised to see that. Um, I'm actually used to seeing Senator Young be pragmatic and, and not always cave to the pressure uh, of the extremes in the Republican Party. But look, he got a lot of that pressure. He had phone calls being dumped in from national groups to his offices and, uh, you know, mail pieces and the like being sent out. And, and you know, he, he caved. And, you know, that's the thing. Is he at risk of uh, losing his reelection? Probably not, because we are a very Republican state. But this is the kind of thing that you don't want to do uh, to be able to be labeled a flip flopper uh, in politics. And he did it in a colossal way that actually, you know, went against the best interests of our state. Tony, your response to that and how influential was the former president uh, on this uh, pressuring some Republicans to vote against the bill? Look, Senator Todd Young is going to listen to his Hoosier constituents first and foremost. And, and that's what drove the, these decisions. He was sincere in both his first procedural vote because he wanted to work in a bipartisan fashion to provide infrastructure uh, funding that's uh, much needed. And he was sincere 
in his uh, a vote against the bill after the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, uh, rated it, studied it, and uh, released that it was going to uh, raise the national deficit between $250 billion and $450 billion. It was also revealed that it was going to raise taxes. And then there were all kinds of other uh, items that were put in the, the bill after that initial procedural vote. So he wasn't going to get hoodwinked, and that's what the Democrats were, were trying to do. And uh, he did the right thing uh, for, for Hoosiers. Uh, Got to talk about the pandemic, obviously very much top of mind right now with Indiana's numbers surging. And Adam, the IU vaccine requirement has really been making national news this week as well. Justice Amy Coney Barrett from Indiana, of course, dismissing a legal challenge to that requirement. What does this say about the overall legal landscape when it comes to vaccine requirements right now? Well, you know, I think chiefly what it says about Justice Amy Coney Barrett uh, shows that a lot of sort of the liberal uh, freakout that happened when she was uh, selected by Trump uh, was really unfounded um, in a lot of ways in several decisions, uh, concluding this one. She's shown herself to be an independent jurist, certainly uh, part of the conservative wing of, of the uh, court. Uh, but this really sort of shows um, that she is a, an independent thinking uh, jurist in a lot of ways. Um, you know, with regards to the vaccine policy, uh, she was so dismissive of the student's case at IU uh, that she didn't even ask them for a response in this case. So uh, fairly, uh, uh, fairly damning in terms of any future uh, agency that okay. these students will have uh, in the future. Abdul, your thoughts on that? And, and will we ultimately see more pressure for, for schools and workplaces to require the vaccine and perhaps more mask mandates as well in the midst of this Delta surge. We're seeing more local school districts make that move now. Uh, I think if we, do, if we do see more mask mandates, it'll be uh, schools and businesses. For example, Eli Lilly just put out uh, a mandate this week to tell their employees either get vaccinated by November or go get another job. So if the government won't do it or can't do it for political reasons, I expect businesses in the private sectors are because you're not owed a job to anyone. You don't have a constitutional right to a job. And unless you're being discriminated against for religious or uh, race reasons, uh, the, the, the employer can't make can mandate you know vaccine vaccinations and mass mandates. It's that simple. Jennifer, does the state of Indiana need, need to do more at this point when it comes to masks and, and schools? Um, I, I think in particular in schools uh, is the area that I'm the most concerned about. I have a nine-year-old uh, who is not able to get vaccinated, who is back in school. So I would love to see a little bit more guidance offered uh, and, and making sure that our youngest uh, among us who can't get protected are protected. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't think the governor is going to change his stance on the mask mandate statewide. Tony, what about states like Florida, where the governor uh, has actually threatened to withhold paychecks for superintendents who impose a mask mandate. How do you defend a move like that? He, he did end up walking it back somewhat uh, later in the week and taking taking back those threats. What did you make of that? Well, I think Florida has been a leader for liberty for, for uh, its uh, citizens. And uh, he, he's very thoughtful on every step that he takes. He knows that the CDC uh, and the powers in the, in the Biden administration aren't sharing all information and going what I mean by that, and also going back to the, the uh, Amy Coney Barrett's decision, there needs to be a discussion about folks that have had the COVID virus and have recovered and have natural immunity, because those folks 
aren't shouldn't be put in the same category as people that don't have natural immunity or the vaccine immunity. And that discussion needs to take place as we're talking about all of these. I, I know mandates. you mentioned that last week. Certainly hard to track all of that. No, no doubt about it. A lot of complicated discussions still to come. All right, coming up next this Sunday in Focus, talking about a new report on climate change and an effort here in Indianapolis to try and find solutions at the local level. That's next. The Indianapolis City County Council is adding a new permanent committee focused on the environment. The council approved the Environmental Sustainability Committee this week. The goal is to inform about climate change and try and create policies to help the environment. Officials say it comes at just the right moment after a new U.N. report highlighted some of the potential dangers of global warming. The effects of climate change are already baked in. For the next 30 years, we already know we're going to have an increase in uh, heat across the United States, uh, including here in central Indiana. And it's up to us as policy leaders to start taking the actions to mitigate uh, the impact of this and to make Indianapolis the safest place we possibly can make it. The committee will start meeting in January at the earliest. One of the first items on the agenda, citywide curbside recycling and composting. All right, stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. Colts preseason starts today on Fox 59. Pre-game coverage starts with the Colts Blue Zone at 12.30. Then it's the Colts and the Panthers at 1. Time for this week's winners and losers. Adam, I'll start with you. Uh, my loser is Senator Todd Young for his flip-flop on the infrastructure bill. But my winner is also Senator Todd Young uh, because he engaged in a bipartisan process and still shaped the bill down the home stretch. Abdul? Uh, my big winner is Eric Holcomb, the governor, uh, is 4-0 uh, in his fight with the legislature and Indiana Attorney General Todd Rakita. My losers are the people who won't get vaccinated and won't wear a mask. What is your problem? Jennifer. Uh, my winner is an unlikely one. It's um, actually Amy Coney Barrett for summarily rejecting the IU students who, you know, don't want to uh, get vaccinated. Uh, you don't have a right to be a Hoosier, but, you know, if you want to be, go get your shot. Tony. Losers, the Biden administration for the way they are exiting Afghanistan, costing thousands or more, uh, probably millions of lives and uh, making us end up uh, in the same place we were when we went in there 20 years ago. More coverage on that issue straight ahead on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. We'll see you again right back here next Sunday in Focus.